Let's pray together. Father, this uh, series on the work of your Spirit in our life and how it manifests in this fruit of these signs of the Spirit has been very convicting for me. Uh, It's impossible to look at these things truthfully and to look at them in depth and and not see the gaps between where I want to be and where I am. And as we look at the one today, particularly this this attribute of faithfulness, of, in a sense, of wholeness, of, of whatever storm comes our way, our response is, is true. Our response is, is genuine. Our response is trustworthy that there's probably not a one of us in the room that when certain things happen that we don't lose it or when certain things don't go our way we we break and this this characteristic this characteristic is really only found in you only you are faithful even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Even when we stop trusting you, you don't stop trusting us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even though we're putting attention to what you're calling out in us, the focus is still on you. Focus isn't on our failure. The focus isn't on our inadequacies. Our focus is on your adequacy, on your completion, your perfection. We we say, Jesus, you are the center of our focus on these signs of the Spirit. Be the center right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you read a couple of verses with me? We're talking about these signs of the Spirit and the Spirit's work in your life. And, and we're talking about the, the sign that Paul says in Galatians 5, faithfulness. And we're going to read a couple of things together. Would you read out loud? I like it when you read with me. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So last week we started on this idea of faithfulness as a sign of the Spirit. This is what comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, when it says, these are the manifestations of the work of the Spirit in your life. Or another way to put this is, this is what it looks like when you have a supernaturally changed heart. These are not things that can be done by willpower. They are not things that can be done by, you know, just by being more religious. These are, these are evidences of your union with the Holy Spirit and His work in your life to bring about the very characteristics of Christ in you. 
Not forced, not fake, but real. For real. And so when we look at that, there's this, there's this, this truth or this principle that you have to get if you're going to really experience the fullness of this fruit in your life. And it comes from the same chapter in Ephesians, but verses 22 and 23 and 24, where he says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. All right, I want you to take your hands for a minute. All right, this is, we're gonna, this is prophetic. We're not going to do it, okay? We're just kind of doing a little vacation Bible school thing here, all right? All right, now imagine yourself taking off old clothes. Just, just close your eyes. don't want anybody to see you naked. <laughs> okay, so you take off your old clothes, okay? And you put on new clothes. Okay, you take off the old clothes, and you put on the new clothes. That's all this is saying. All this is saying is that your old self, and what it, he literally uses the verb about putting off like clothing. In other words, everything that is your old self apart from Christ, everything that is not of Christ is your old self. Now, one of the problems that a lot of people have is they, they kind of think wrongly about this stuff. And they, they have the, the, the mistaken notion that you are a sinner because you sin. And so the idea is, let me just figure out how to sin less and I'll be less of a sinner. Okay, that's not what Paul teaches. That's not what the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit looks at your old self and it say, he says to you, declares to you, you are sinning because you are a sinner. He says there's a root issue. It's not the behavior that makes you a sinner. It is the corruption of your own heart. So if all you do with your old self and your old clothes, if you put a little religious tide on them, you will maybe make them a little cleaner looking, but you will still be wearing your old clothes. Or maybe you get some, you know, you get some religious spot remover or something. Or, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I've once or twice have been in the presence of someone who stunk because they never took baths, and they put cologne on. And you're like, that's even worse. That combo just doesn't work. That's the idea is that when you just try to be religious, when you just try to be a better person, or when you just try to you know, clean up your act, the smell remains. It's still the old clothes. Now for some of us, it's easy to see. It's easy. If I were to show you my old self you would immediately see the arrogance in my heart. You would see the liar. You would see the person who was only out for what he could get to satisfy himself. You would see the lust and the ambition and the vainglory. And so for me, in many ways, it's always been easier because it's so clear what my old self is. It's pretty easy to get rid of it. It's nasty. It's ugly. 
It's not that hard. But there are some of you who are not like that. You actually have much nicer looking old clothes. You call them vintage. You know? You know, they still are old and they stink and they're, and they're not worthy. But you don't lie as much as other people do. You know, you don't cuss as much as others. You don't, you, you know, you don't chew and you don't go with girls that do. And, uh, you know, you, you, got, you know, so you, you can sit there and say, well, at least I look a lot better than the person sitting next to me right now. But see, if, you're a, if you sin because you're a sinner... It's a, it's, it's a root issue. It's not a behavior issue. So what you're putting off is even the confidence in the old clothes. What you're putting off is, is even your connection, the power source. Because if the reason you're good is because you will yourself to be good, then, then basically you're saying, I deserve. I, I'm worthy of the honor and see, in the, in the spotlight of the light of the Holy Spirit, everybody's clothes look shabby. Everybody's clothes look unworthy. Yours might look better than someone else's, but they're still not worthy. And the uh, gospel is the opportunity to say, I'm going to take these old clothes off, and I'm going to become a new person. Now, part of the issue of what Paul is talking about when he talks about faithfulness is you can't have new clothes on top of old clothes. It has to be stripped. Your dependence, your reliance, your, your way of managing life has to be stripped away, and the connection has to be to the new. So when he's saying that he, he calling us into this faithfulness as, as faithfulness of a supernaturally changed heart, when he's calling us into that, he's saying, not only do you have to be truthful, but you also have to speak the truth. So there's these two ways that it begins to manifest that you're in new clothes. Not only are you truthful, but you speak the truth, and you don't use the truth to beat someone else up. In order to do that, in many ways, oh, sorry about that, there has to be what Paul says and integrity of yourself. And, and I love, when you look at the Greek, when you look at what he originally wrote, he used the word, instead of the way it's translated, it's translated, put off falsehood, which seems to be, in a sense, to be referring to don't speak lies. But the literal translation is he says, put off the pseudo-self. Now think about that for a minute. If you just let that sink in, it'll hit you. Your pseudo-self. And I believe what he means by this, again, goes back to the old self. And I believe what he means by this is, simp is simply this, that growing up, you figured out how to protect yourself. Growing up, you figured out how to make people like you, or you gave up on people liking you. Whichever one, you, you either decided whatever you were going to do, you were going to present a version of yourself to others. Now, if you're a people pleaser like me, you figured out what people wanted from you and you became that. Not only did you do that, you became that. And then 
often they delighted in you or they thought you were great or whatever, and that stroked you, and so you became even more of a people pleaser. To the point where a lot of times there are many of us who are slaves to other people's opinions. But here's the problem with that. Whatever you do that delights people one day becomes a demand the next day. It becomes an expectation. So, so now every day you have, to, you have to think, oh, what do they need from me? What do they want from me? Or that you might just, your pseudo self might just be that you put a wall up and say, nobody's going to see me. Now at some point and at some time, you're going to have to, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to have integrity, if you're going to be able to weather the storms and the sunshine of life, you're going to have to be whole. And being whole means that there is a real self a genuine self, and you will have to dismiss all the pseudo-selves. Brendan Manning is a very good writer on this. He calls it our imposter. That many of us, in order to get through tough times in our lives, in order to go you know, through school or through family issues or whatever it is, we figured out what everybody wanted from us and we became that person. Some of you, it's the role you play in your family. Some of it's the role you play at work. But in many ways, it has become, instead of it being you, it's a presentation of you. So even when people like that presentation of you, there's a part of you that can't accept it. Because there's a part of you that says, if they really knew me, if they really knew what I think, they really knew what I felt, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't like me. If they knew my secrets, if they knew my shame. And so what Paul's saying when he's saying, get rid of the pseudo-self, is he's not saying... He wants to punish you. He's not saying you're an evil, bad person. He's saying basically this, because you have a new self, you don't need a pseudo-self. There should have been more amens than that. (laughs) The reason I I stopped on that is because you got to get this. I, I... I look around this room, there's a lot of spiritual and emotional schizophrenics in there. Uh-oh. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that we do this, the reason that we divide ourselves into different selves is to protect ourselves. It is so we will not be hurt, so we will not be disappointed. And what happens is that you get stuck emotionally. Even though you're an adult, you get stuck as if you were a child. Because many of us have never learned to deal with disappointment. We've never learned to hear no. Even though we think we we hear no all the time, we don't deal with it well. Many of us um, already expect bad before any good ever comes. Uh, many of us in our complaining and whining, we, we, we manifest that we trust nothing and we enjoy being the victims. Because somehow the worse our life is, the more authenticated we are that we're important. And so what Paul is saying is you don't need any of that. He's saying what you need is truthfulness and the only one who speaks truth about you and truth to you that you can depend on 
is the righteous judge. And in Christ, he has decreed that you're a child of God. In Christ, he has decreed that you have equal worth to him as his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, he has decreed, and, and again, many of you know this, but apart from his decree, none of us would call you saint. Because you know your secrets. You know your shame. You easily, many of you in this room, beat yourselves up all the time in order to motivate yourself to do more. It's not a very satisfying life. What is incredibly satisfying is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, from the one who is the judge. My conscience is not the judge. Your conscience is not the judge. Only he is the judge. And when you put off the old clothes and you put on the new clothes, what what is being said about you is that your righteousness is as the righteousness of Christ. So there's really no more condemnation. Those of you who motivate yourselves by condemnation, you know who's speaking to you? The condemner, the accuser. Do you want to be motivated by the whip or the shackles of the accuser, the taskmaster? Or do you want to start saying, i got to get these old clothes off. They're choking me. They're restraining me. They're limiting me. See, in some ways, you will not be unbreakable until you recognize your brokenness. And you begin to say, I have a defender I have a protector who is better than me. Now, when you begin to risk, now you're risking your genuine self. It's always funny. I, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I am, I am a weird and unusual preacher. All right? Some of you get that. Some of you get that. All right? Some of you... Now, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it in the nicest possible way. Some of you don't. So, But here, it is very unusual for someone to tell their own stories and to tell their own difficulties and their own dysfunctions. That is a very unusual thing. And when I started in ministry, my professor said that this will fail. They would not ever share anything personal. Because they said, they, they, you know, they just felt like it was, it was too risky. And, I, and, and it is risky. And it's interesting to me because as best I can, I give you a clear picture that I'm messed up in public and private. I am the same person in public as I am in private. There's not two mics, there's one mic. Now, so when people reject me, they are rejecting the real me. That's the risk of being a genuine self. But here's the thing. If Jesus is my defender, and if he is my protector, and I'm not my own, nor am I trying to posture myself so that you will like what I'm presenting to you, then I can actually love you without limitation. And I can love those who reject me. Because the area where we start to be pseudo-selves is always the area of fear. It's always about fear. And Jesus says uh, very clearly uh, that fear is not a part of the new self. A fearlessness is a part of the new self. So if I am not 
fearful, then when the things that I could fear happen, then I have to turn to him to be my protector, to be my defender. And in those moments, you see it's not my faithfulness that appears. It's his faithfulness that appears. And so suddenly I am enveloped in the embrace of the faithful one in the eye of the storm. But if I defend myself, then all I am is a Pharisee. Now, why do I say that? Well, because what Jesus teaches and what Paul teaches in this Ephesians passage that comes forth in faithfulness is Jesus contrasts the faithfulness of the Pharisees with the faithfulness of God. And he says that, that, that the Pharisees used truth. Now, some of you, I mean, you know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were the experts on the law. They were the highest level of religious leadership. They were skilled. They were trained. They were experts. They had memorized They were so uh, completely masters of the law of God. But what Jesus said about them is this. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, you take what is good and you make it bad. You take what is truth and you put it as a burden on others. But he said, here's the reason that you do it. You do it so that you will have power. He says, you take... What you know, and you take the truth of what you know, and you make it so you have the seats of honor, you have all the wealth, and you have all the power. And then they they took truth, and Jesus said, here's what you've done with truth, is you've said, if you swear by God, then it's a promise you have to keep. But if you swear by the temple, which is less than God, it's okay if you lie. And then, it, and then Jesus said, and not only that, but you say, if they swear by the gold in the temple, they have to keep the promise. But if they swear by the temple, they don't have to keep the promise. Does that not reveal heart? What is money but power? I mean, every one of us that loves money, why do we love money? Not because it smells good or looks good. We love it for the power that it brings. I, I used to have this rich guy that was, I was trying to disciple. He's filthy, filthy rich. Wouldn't share any of the filthy lucre with me, but uh, uh, this guy was filthy rich. I mean, just incredibly rich. And he constantly wanted to act like he was spiritual. And so I was talking to him one day, and he looks at me and goes, Mike, I really don't care about money all that much. I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so he said, I don't care about money all that much. I just like what it can buy. And I'm sitting there going, you think that's a spiritual statement? Or that somehow, that somehow shows a, a, a very loving, good heart? It, it shows the depravity of the heart when you realize all I care about is power. Well, there's a little Pharisee in all of us. And when I read that, and and that whole passage in Matthew 23 is scathing. Jesus rebuking those who use the truth for power. I realized, oh my goodness, that's me. I have beaten people up with the truth. I have used persuasion. I have used bullying. I have used manipulation. And no one has been more subject to that than my wife. 
Because I had no idea. I always thought, and actually was taught, that being right was the most important thing in the world. But see, that's not what Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees were right. He actually says, when they speak from the seat of Moses, do what they say, because they have the authority. They were right, but they were wrong. And that's what I found, is I grew up, everything was about being right. Matter of fact, the church I grew up in, it was more important to be right than to experience God. It was more important to describe God rightly than it was to actually have a relationship with God. There were plenty of people who could describe God in beautiful, elegant terms who had never met God and who exhibited none of the attributes of God. But they are incredible arguers for God. See, there's some sense in which the Pharisees are, are those of us who use religious truth to beat up other people. But we don't do it because it's truth. We do it for ourselves. We do it because it's pride. Because I have to be right. Now, this can, this can be very personal if you let it. See, I took that, I took that, that idea and I, I became a, a, a kind of like an arguer for Jesus. But it's really, I was arguing for Mike and for Mike's opinion. And then I took that from the church and I took it into my marriage. And, and my wife is a very loving and, and very diplomatic woman. Uh, but she is an immovable force. I try to be the irresistible force, you know. She's the, uh, she's the immovable object in our relationship. None of my gifts work on her whatsoever. Charm doesn't work. Uh, persuasion doesn't work. Getting louder doesn't work. All the things I honed in my family of origin do not work with her whatsoever. And so I just, I, I was like, but I'm right. <laughs> Exactly. And she would just be she would just not be moved by it whatsoever. And I would get louder. And I would get stronger. She used to say, just leave me alone. And she'd go off to the bedroom off to the bedroom. I'd chase her to the bedroom. She'd lock the door. I hit a key up above <laughs> the door. Because we're gonna have this out, I would say. You know, because I had to be right. See, there are many of us that we have almost said love is weakness, truth is strength. Being right is strength. Being loving is weak. There's a website right now that, uh, that attacks my friends. Fortunately, they don't know me. But they attack my friends, and the lady calls herself discerning granny. She may be a granny. She's not discerning. Because what she does is she takes, she takes what she says is right and the truth, and she calls people who are brothers and sisters in Christ heretics and liars and all kinds of stuff and does it from the safety of the Internet. Think about that. She thinks God has ordained her for this ministry because she thinks truth is about being right and has nothing to do with being loving. Now, there, there are some of us 
There's some of us that we're, almost, we're, we're afraid of truth and we're afraid of being right because we hate conflict and we hate people being mad at us. So there are those who almost become relativistic in a sense and they begin to say in many ways that truth doesn't matter and just be loving or, or my favorite one is just be nice. <laughs> kind of the Bambi theology, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You know, that kind of, a, that kind of thought that goes on. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that's not loving either. As a matter of fact, if I could contrast it as clearly as possible, you got the Pharisees who are the, who are the, the uh, representatives of absolute truth with no love. Then you got Pontius Pilate. Jesus is brought to both of them. Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate. He says, Jesus says the exact same thing in front of Pilate that he said in front of the Sanhedrin of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says the exact same things. He tells the truth. This is why you can absolutely trust Jesus is because he has integrity from start to finish, from his inside to his outside, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He says the same thing to everyone. That's integrity. He gets in front of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and he says exactly the same things, and he speaks the truth to him. And you know what Pontius Pilate's question of him is? What is truth? What is truth? He doesn't even know what truth is. He has no, he has no bearing. He has no framework for even understanding that the truth is standing right before him, and he's about to sentence the truth to death. In the story of Jesus, you see absolute religious truth, and you see relativistic, secular view of truth, and they both crucified Jesus. They both killed Jesus. The only one with integrity challenges both the relativistic secularist and challenges the religious absolutist. Neither could handle Jesus. Well, in other words, if you don't have love, you don't have truth. And if you don't have truth, you don't have love. And the beauty of it is, is if you ask the question, you know, did Jesus go to the cross for truth? Yes. He absolutely satisfied all the demands of God. He satisfied the wrath of God. He exhausted the penalty of sin in his own body, in his own sacrifice. He became our substitute, our representative. He appeased for God in a powerful way the offense that we brought against our relationship with God. He did absolutely justify us and satisfied truth but he totally and completely did it out of love. In the cross, you see the strength when truth and love come together. So if you are one of those that, in a sense, you're this absolute, you know, everything has to be right, and I've got to say my peace, and I've got to get my opinion out there, you're probably a Pharisee. And you're probably bullying and using truth for power. You want to know what a great test would be? Is if you gave to someone you, you knew, you gave them the fullness of the gospel and they rejected it, and you still love them just as much? Because you, you realize that 
that uh, I've given you the truth and I've said it to you because I love you and what you do with it is up to you. You will not change how I feel about you or me because you disagree with me. See, that's when truth and love come together. Or let's make it even more difficult. This is, I mean, this is what I've learned in my marriage is my goal is not to set my wife right. My goal is to love her with all my heart. Amen. And to see her as she is and to see the truth of who she is in Christ and to love her for who she is, not for who I want to make her. And when, when she has a different opinion from me, to say, hmm, I never thought of it that way before. One of the things that, that we've done that's made a difference in the last 20 years is we began to say our motives were off, uh, were outside the boundaries. Because what happens in marriage is a lot of times you're not arguing words, you're arguing motives. You're not arguing what was said, you're arguing why it was said. And usually, if you want to you take something from a little skirmish to a nuclear attack, just begin to impugn someone's motives. You know, I've said to you before, when someone lies to you, they're a liar. When you lie to them, it's complicated. There are reasons, you know, there's motives here. I didn't, you know, because you're a good person, they're not. They're a monster, you're wonderful. And when you say that out loud, you realize, oh my goodness, that's not truthful. That's not truthful. See, I believe in the cross. Love and truth meet. And if I stay in that place, in the righteousness of Christ, if I stay in that place, of relationship to Christ, then what happens is I can tell the imposter to go. I don't have to be right. I can be humble. I don't have to win. I can love. Matter of fact, I like it when everybody wins now. I like going deeper and say, how, does it, how do we all win? One time... I'll try to finish up with this. One time, a lady came up to me. It was after a service, and she started screaming at me. Please, none of you do that today. <laughs> we only have 10 minutes between service. So. so she starts screaming at me for 10 minutes. I mean, she was calling me every name in the book, telling me what an awful, horrible man I was, what an awful, terrible this and that. And, uh, you know... I could have argued with her. And uh, everything she was saying was off base. It was so far off. I could have brought my Bible out and showed her how wrong she was. But the Lord said, do you want to pastor her or do you want to win the argument? I said, Lord, I want to pastor her. Then he said, submit yourself to her in humility. I said, what the heck does that mean? And he said, I want you just to get on your knees and say, will you pray with me? So right here, she's yelling at me. I said, hold on a second. Would you pray with me? I said, everything you're saying, I just want you to know, I just want to follow Jesus. 
I just want to follow his word. Will you pray with me that I will follow Jesus and I will follow his word? And I got down on my knees. She got down on her knees when she started crying. She said, oh, pa- oh Father, I love him so much, you know. And, <laughs> and she started crying. She started praying. And she started, she got, she started hugging me and all kinds of stuff. And what, what I, I could not have understood is that she needed me to love her, but she came at me fighting me. But what she really needed was for me to love her unconditionally, to accept her, and to to not make her a bad person. And because I humbled myself in that moment and submitted to what God had said, she became an ally and a friend where she was an enemy and a yeller for a little bit. What happens is we're all so messed up that the way we go for love sometimes repels people from us. And the way we go after truth makes it to where we get no love. And what I'd like for you to do today is I'd like for you to really put that old self off. It doesn't work for you. And to put that new self off that says, I'm accepted in Christ. I am loved by Christ. I am who he says I am. Would you stand with me? Does this make sense to you today? I want to ask, are there any of you that you've been hiding, you've been avoiding, you've been running away from the truth, you're afraid of conflict, you're afraid, you're, you're storing up a lot of anger or you're storing up a lot of hurt? Would you give that to Jesus right now? You know, you're gonna, what's going to happen is you keep storing it up and you keep hiding, you're going to let it out on somebody that doesn't deserve it. You're going to scream at some poor clerk at ShopRite or something. <laughs> because you're just so, are, somebody's not going to put the toilet paper back and you're going to scream at everybody. I mean, something's going to happen and you're just not going to be able to take it anymore because you've been, you've been holding the truth in, but you've not been loving. And you've been holding, you know, you've been holding back, but it's going to explode. I just sense today's the day to take that off and say, that's my old clothes. My old clothes is I store up and I store up and then I explode. Take it off today. Take it off. Leave it here. Leave it here. This building can handle it. You can't. And there's some of you, you've been bullies. You've used your words to make people feel small. You've used your words to make people feel stupid. In order to get your way, you've used your words I, in a, in a, to get power. Would you renounce that, pharisaic, that pharisaical heart and receive this new heart today that says, I don't need to bully people. I don't need to be right. I want to be loving. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be where the the love of God meets the truth of God and people see it in me. You know, neither Pontius Pilate nor the Pharisees could handle the truth or the love. But you and I can because we've gone to the cross with him. 
And it's in the cross we find our faithfulness. They did not know what faithfulness was. We know what faithfulness is. Jesus has said he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. We have the shield of faith. We actually have the shield of the faithful one, the Lord Jesus Christ. With it, we extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. Whatever this means to you today, put off the old clothes. Put off the old self. Put on the new clothes. The prettiest outfit you ever had. The sharpest outfit you ever had because it's the righteousness of Christ. You are holy. You are righteous. You are loved. You are forgiven. Not because I say so, but because Jesus says so. Thank you, Lord, for this. We seal it now in Jesus' name. There are some people up here. We're just going to, we're closed. You know, it's time for us to 